Chuck Swindoll has a way with words, and he made this statement about life. He gave this exhortation about how to live life. He said, soar above the greedy, grubby level of mediocrity. Soar above the greedy, grubby level of mediocrity. Mediocrity, that word means the quality of being in between two extremes. And it sort of reminds me of Jesus' words in Revelation 3. He says, I know your deeds, as he speaks to us, his people, that you were neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, mediocre, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you, literally vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus is not in the mediocre. Soar above the greedy, grubby level of mediocrity. Graduates, and by the way, every other person in the room, I think that's us all, right? I want to challenge you this morning. Don't settle. In the pleasures you enjoy, in the passions that drive you, and in the purposes for which you take risk, don't settle. I want to exhort you this morning, go big with God for life at its very best. How many of you would look at me this morning and say, not just graduates, how many of you look at me and say, listen, I don't want the best life has to offer. I just want to get by. Any takers? And yet, some of us in this room, all of us in this room at some points in life, live just like that, though, don't we? We don't go for the best life can possibly offer. We settle for just mediocre, just getting by. So the take home today is go big with God for life at its best. How does that work out? I mean, what does that look like practically? I want to give you... Graduates especially, three encouragements this morning. First of all, if you're going to go big with God for life at its best, then you need to enjoy infinite pleasures in Jesus. Don't settle for piddly pleasures. Does everybody understand the definition of piddly? I mean, that's just the best word I could come up with, and you understand it, don't you? Mommy used to ask me what I was doing, and I'd... I'd, I'd tell her, and she said, no, you're not. You're just piddling. Well, don't just piddle. Don't settle for piddly pleasures. Enjoy infinite pleasures in Jesus. Understand this this morning. You are loved. Infinitely and eternally by God himself and his son, Jesus Christ, who died for you. And to be loved by God is the height of human pleasure. It doesn't get any better than that. John 3, verse 16, you know it. For God so loved the world, in this way he loved the world, that he gave his only son. It's a statement of the death of Christ, as well as his resurrection. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How much did God love you enough to give his son to die in your life? place for your 
sins. Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that, here's how, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, how he loves us. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 and also verses 38 and 39, Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are so loved by God. And most of you graduates that just came and stood up here already knew that, didn't you? Because for at least most of you, you were raised, if not in this church, around the things of God. This is not the first time you've heard the truth of the gospel. You know these things. And so, the burden of responsibility now is on you as you graduate. To live a life captivated by Christ, the one who loved you so much that he died for you. Yours now needs to be the the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 16. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It gets no better than knowing you're loved by God because once you've been loved by God, you're forever loved by God. You will know pleasure in the presence of God eternally. Enjoy infinite pleasures. Enjoy God's grace in Jesus as your highest pleasure because, listen to me, it is the highest possible pleasure. Don't settle for piddly pleasures. You've heard this C.S. Lewis quote before, but it's worth repeating. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Paul said, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything, he says. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in the Greek dung, and it means the same thing that it does in English. You know the definition of dung, y'all with me? I count it as dung in order that I may gain Christ. Infinite pleasures. Enjoy infinite pleasures. Don't settle for piddly pleasures. The greatest of all pleasures is to know that you are infinitely loved by God himself. And yet many of us sometimes respond to the infinite pleasure and joy of God's love in Jesus by saying, wow, 
That is amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Now, can I go on and live my life the way I'd planned? Can I just get on with my life now? Thank you for taking care of that. I'm glad to know eternity's handled. I'm glad to know I'm forever loved. Now, can I just live the rest of this time? It's not, not very long, Lord. Can I just do my own thing? To which Jesus responds, sure you can. If you want less than the best life can give you. If you want to waste your life. And if I'm not glorious enough to captivate your heart and surrender your life to, then Jesus said, absolutely, knock yourself out. You know, in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus described life this way. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Isn't that interesting? The path of being known and and loved by Jesus, the path of choosing the infinite pleasure, to enjoy the infinite pleasure of the love of God and letting it change your life, that's the hard path. Why? How does that work? I mean, that doesn't make sense, does it? That seems like that should be easy because who doesn't want the love of God? Who doesn't want the highest of all pleasures? Well, our sinful hearts choose the lesser way. The path of least resistance is also the path of least reward. So, no, don't do like you've heard it said so many times. Don't just follow your heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 tells us about our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So how do we deal with our own deceitful hearts? Well, we need the words of Proverbs 3, Joe, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge who? Your heart. What you want to do? Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. How do we deal with our own deceitful hearts? You do it in a twofold manner, practically with the Word of God and prayer. John Bloom said, Know the book. Do not neglect the book. High school seniors graduating, fixing to go to college next fall, hear these words. College graduates fixing to enter a career and start an everyday life that just gets faster and faster, it seems. Memorize the book. Store the book in your heart. Hear this. Daily Bible reading has nothing to do with your performing a ritual for God's approval. But it has everything to do with your spiritual survival in college and in your career. That's just around the corner. And by the way, mom and dad and every other person in the room, wherever you're at in life, it has everything to do with your spiritual survival right where you live too. Young, old, it doesn't matter. The book will keep you sane because the book tells you what's real. In Psalm 37, verse 4, David writes and says, commands us, encourages us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what that doesn't mean is, if you just show up at church and kind of do some of the God stuff, then 
Jesus will just give you a blank check to do whatever you want in life. That's not what it means. What it means is when you delight in Jesus and when you delight in what he delights in, then he will put within your heart desires that have their roots in what is true and eternal. And then he will gladly give you what you're already delighting in Jesus' heart wants. And it's a beautiful thing. The word of God. And pray. Luke 11 verse 9, Jesus said, I tell you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find. Knock. And it will be opened to you. Those are all beautiful promises. Understand, your heavenly Father wants to give you the help you need. He wants to show you the way. He wants to open the right doors for you. Will you ask? Will I seek? Will you knock in prayer? Enjoy infinite pleasures. Don't settle for piddly pleasures. But secondly, this morning, if you want to go big with God and know life at its best, then you have to be driven by God-exalting passions. Don't settle for ultimately worthless motivations. That's what we're talking about here. Here's the question. What will be the big why behind all that you do in life? Every one of you has a why that moves everything. There is a big why underneath and behind you and everything you do, all the decisions you make, all all the pursuits in your life. There's something pushing you, driving you. What is the big why for you? What will your ultimate motivation be for how you live? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, Paul writes and he tells us about his. He says, his love has the first and last word in everything we do from the message translation. The NIV says, Christ's love compels us. The big why for Paul, the big why for every believer is the love of Christ. His love for us and his love for the world. It's the first and last passion, the driving motivation for every follower of Christ. And hear me, if any other motivation trumps the love of God in Christ, then you've never really understood who Jesus is. And you don't know what his love for you is really all about. And hear me, let me just make another statement. What that all translates into, you may not be a child of the king. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. Paul says, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify who? Glorify God in your body. This love we've been talking about, this infinite pleasure found in the love of God, that love is the the highest of all pleasures, but it is also the price that made a purchase. And when you trust Christ as your Savior, you give away ownership to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And hear me, that's the smartest thing you could ever do in life. Because he knows how to run it a whole lot better than I do. He knows how to pilot your ship a whole lot better 
than you do. And so it's a joyful thing to know I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. The result, we're commanded, glorify God in your body. In John 3, verse 27, and also verse 30, we learned about this in Sunday school this morning. John the Baptist got this. He understood he wasn't his own. In the context, he was, he was uh, losing followers to Jesus. <laughs> and his disciples were saying, man, son, we got, John, we've got to do something. This, this, there's a, we got, I mean, look, there, we don't know who this guy is, and they're following him. Jesus, or John said, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. And then he said, he must become greater, I must become less. John understood, I'm not my own. I've been bought. It's all about him. My whole life is to glorify him. Graduates, get that. Get it early. Parents, if you didn't get it early, get it today. You're not your own. It's all about him And graduates, don't buy the lie the world's telling you. They're telling you this at school. I hope your parents aren't telling you this, but they might be. Buy the truth. A person can receive only what he's given, what is given them from heaven. You've got decisions that are coming up. You need to be seeking God. There, is, there may be some, some sense of truth in, in the fact that you can make your life whatever you want, to, want it to be, but there's some truth according to the words of John here. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. See, the question is not what do I want to do with my life. The question is what is God's plan for my life? Because you see, he must become greater. I must become less. Be driven by God-exalting passions. Don't settle for ultimately worthless motivations. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells us what the big two are in life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. By the way, all that loving of God affects how you act, how you think, how you speak, what you do, what you don't do. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That also affects how you act and how you think, how you speak, what you do, what you don't do. I love both for God and for others. Be driven by these God-exalting passions. Don't settle for ultimately worthless motivations. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, as a church, we exist to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ to the world. And here's the truth. Every follower of Jesus exists for the same purpose. You're left here once you meet Jesus for that purpose, to spread your enjoyment of the beauty of Jesus to the world. Be driven by God-exalting passions. Don't settle for ultimately worthless motivations. Thirdly and finally, if you're going to go big for God and, and, and have life at its best, take risks for eternal 
purposes in Jesus. Don't settle for short-lived purposes and pursuits. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gives us the big assignment. He comes to his disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Take risks for eternal purposes in Jesus. Specifically, give your life, no matter your vocation, give your life, give, give all that you are, take big risks to make disciples of the nations for Jesus. And however that translates where you live, don't settle to just live for short-lived passing purposes. What is God's will for your life? I don't pretend to know specifically what all God has for you as far as your job and career. I would encourage you, seek Him. Ask Him at every step, at every decision in life. Ask Him for direction. And and before those big decisions, walk with with Him in His known will, which is revealed where? In the book. Live by the book, and hear me, that goes a long way in getting you at the right place at the right time in the right frame of heart and mind when those decisions have to be made. That's the bigger pursuit if you want to know the will of God. Live the will of God as it's revealed here. And all the details of particular decisions, they'll take care of themselves. I don't know what God has for you specifically, but because of Jesus' great commission, because it's for every believer, this I do know. Enjoying God's glory in Jesus and extending God's glory in this world is your life's calling. No matter how or where or in what job you do it. So take risks for eternal purposes in Jesus. Don't settle for short-lived purposes. You know, in Matthew 24... Verses 12 to 14, Jesus describes the the days towards the end of time. And he says, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Let me just ask you, does that sound like anything you've seen in the news lately? Does that sound like the nation in which we live? It is. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when will the end come? After the gospel has gone to all nations. After every, every people group has heard the message, Jesus will come back. We don't know when that's going to be, but there are over 6,000 unreached people groups in the world today. Now, there's a warning and there's an encouragement in this passage. The warning is this. We must keep a check on the temperature of our hearts. It says, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. How is the love of my heart? Is it, is it, is it burning white hot for Jesus? Or has it, because of the world all around me, grown cold? We must keep a check on the temperature of our hearts. We must not let our love for God grow cold and our love for sin and lawlessness grow hot. Listen, life's not a game. 
If we don't endure to the end, Jesus said, with a white-hot love for God, it'll prove we never knew him and we will not be saved, according to the words of Christ. The world you're about to enter, graduate, is increasingly insane with the madness of sin and lawlessness. But the encouragement in this passage is that Jesus will come back when the gospel goes to every people group. And yes, you guessed it. Getting the gospel to every people group must be a priority in the life of every true follower of Jesus. Because those who truly love Jesus want him to come back soon, amen? And love what he loves, the Father's glory and the joy of the nations in Jesus. So take risks for eternal purposes in Jesus. Don't settle for just short-lived purposes. Find your part in reaching the unreached. And that goes for everyone in the room. Amen? It's our task. And when, it hap- when it's done, he'll come back. Frankie Ballard's got a popular country song out. And, you know, here's the Sunday confession of the preacher. I mean, I listen to country music. There's times I should hit the butt, and I don't. I, I just listen to it. This is a really catchy song. Young and crazy. Don't learn nothing till you make a lot of mistakes. How will I know where to draw the line if I don't cross it a few hundred times? I've got to do a little wrong so I know what's right. I've got to live a lot of life if I'm going to give good advice. How am I ever going to get to be old and wise if I ain't ever young and crazy? I mean, it's a catchy song. But it's a lie. It's a lie. And what Frankie Ballard doesn't tell you, graduate, mom, dad, grandma, teenagers, kids, everybody here, What Frankie Ballard doesn't tell us in that song is that all that young and crazy living often becomes a prison that you can't escape. It often becomes a thief that steals real joy from you during this time of your life and you can never relive it or retrieve it. Ask me how I know. Ask your mama and your daddy. Ask your grandparents. And what they'll tell you is, you don't have to learn from your own mistakes. We've had kids tell us that. That's the dumbest statement possibly ever made by an adolescent. Just let me make my own mistakes, Dad. Do what? I mean, how big an idiot are you? I mean, listen to me. God gave you a daddy. To keep you from making dumb mistakes. You see, you graduates, we gave you this book for a reason. You don't have to make your own mistakes to learn to live wisely and rightly and productively and in a pleasure-filled life. You can go to this book and learn it on the front side. How many testimonies? Can we just talk? 
thought we already were a preacher. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a little bit more. How many testimonies from people in this room? In this room? About the prison of alcohol. About the prison of drugs. About the prison of just unbridled sex. I mean, we're talking now, aren't we? By the way, parents, that's where your kids already live, and they've been living in that realm way before high school. One of my kids had a friend who went to jail in Florida this spring for underage drinking, and 48 hours upon his release... He snorted a line of cocaine and followed it with a shot of tequila and got back to the party. I'd say that's slavery. And I'd say that's a prison. God's Word tells you how to become old and wise this morning. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 and verse 13. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. By the way, this is, these words are written by a man who went for the gusto in life. He, he said, I'm going I'm to suck life dry of all that it has to offer, all that the world has to offer, and he did. Dude had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had all kinds of money. He was, the, he was the richest man in all of the world. He had all power. He had everything on every level of pleasure and pursuit and passion that the world knows. He had it all, okay? And here's what he said. Now all has been heard. And when he said all, he meant it. You'll, let, me, let me tell you, you don't have enough money. You'll never run all the roads that Solomon ran. You'll never explore all the fun Solomon explored. And when he had done it all, he says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. What does it all mean? What is it all about? What should I do with my life if I really want the best of life? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Now you hear that and you say, man, that's a downer. (laughs) I mean, that's not what I was expecting to come out. Fear God. I mean, I'm bored already. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You see, when you say that, if that's your understanding, if if that's how that hits you, if that's how it rings in your heart, then you don't get God. Where do we start the message? We started with the God who so loved you that he gave his son. So this God we're told to fear and keep his commandments is the God who loves you more than anybody can ever love you. And who who gave his son to give you his very best, who wants your very best. His commandments, they're the how to have the best life possible list. If you want to know what life's really about, do what I say to do. Because I'm a good daddy. And I've proven it by giving Jesus to die for you. How can you question that my commands are not also good and for your good? 
as we close. Ray Ortland Sr., great pastor of yesteryear, said to his son, Listen, son, church, hear this, all of you, all of us in the room. Half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough about God to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. Be all out for him. Son, I don't care if you're a ditch digger as long as you love the Lord with all your heart. Parents, mom and daddy, look at me. Is that your prayer for your son, for your daughter? is Is that the way you feel about this turning point for your graduate? Anything less is, best, is less than the very best for your son, for your daughter. Go big with God for life at its best. Become a business person, an engineer, a doctor, a teacher, a historian, a missionary, a physical therapist, a husband, a wife, a parent who enjoys infinite pleasures in Jesus' love and in his ways and never settles for piddly pleasures. Be a person who is driven by God-exalting passions for the glory of God and doesn't settle for ultimately worthless motivations. Be a person who takes risks for the everlasting purposes of God in reaching the nations and doesn't settle for short-lived purposes. That's how you go big for God and know life at its best. And that's how you make sure you never settle. Let's pray.